All right, we're in our study in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 11, and we're looking at the ruler or judge called Jephthah, and he is not entirely obscure as far as um, we looked at, I think, the last two weeks ago, we are looking at unsung heroes. He, he's sort of in that, although Jephthah was a judge in Israel for about six years out of that period of 400 years, and we know that in that time, in that history of Israel from the time they entered into the land and and Joshua under his leadership had set up the divisions of the land where the various um, tribes of Israel would reside and the leadership of Joshua passes off the scene and then not very long after that uh, Israel even though they had said we will serve the Lord um, began to serve foreign gods and they began to do the things that God commanded them not to do and they went off into idolatry but not the entire people there was always a remnant always a faithful remnant and that is important to understand that God uh, has kept uh, people that were faithful to him and there was a a group of believers in every generation from Adam and Eve on in that In Judges chapter 21, and the book of Judges also opens up with this same uh, reference, but it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I think as we've gone through this study, you have hopefully learned that that this cycle of repentance and then turning, you know, in in faith, turning to the Lord, and then there was a, a time of Uh, of going back into sin and then captivity or enslavement by the enemy and then they would call out and there was this cycle and it went round and round and round and and I have emphasized and I think the scriptures are emphasized this throughout the book of Judges is that there's always an opportunity so long as there's breath in your lungs for you to repent of sin and turn in faith to the Lord and if you do so he is quick to forgive and he's able to restore. And that is something that we've seen time and time again throughout Scripture. However, there are consequences to our actions. And sometimes consequences, consequences, yeah, something. There we go, consequences. We'll get this right. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know where my tongue's going today, but it's, it's probably ahead of my brain. That doesn't take much, you know. Anyways, uh, there were there are certain consequences to the actions that even were generational and that is something that happens but as we'll look at today in the life of Jephthah that you can break that cycle and you can get off that train so to speak and serve the Lord in spite of your history your background uh, your family uh, the sin in your life, all of those kind of things. There are things we can choose. There's things we can't choose. But one thing we can do is choose whom we will serve. Will we serve the old nature? Will we serve the old, the old family, whatever it is? Or will we serve God? And Jephthah is a good example for us in that regard. And although people were doing that which is right in their own eyes, and that too, my friends, as I've emphasized, I think is a characteristic of our own day today. Many, many people doing that which is right in their own eyes without regard for for deeper things, things outside themselves. And we wonder why value of life is so, and with so many people, is just cast aside. And um, the the tragedy of that, I I looked at the news this morning and 
and sad things. You know, there was a video that surfaced uh, recently of, of two teenagers, 17-year-olds, that, that egged each other on to run over a bicyclist, and they just ran over a man, former police chief, and who had retired, 64 years old, left his family, just ran him over, and thought that was fun. Uh, overnight, a deputy sheriff out of state, deputy sheriff, was ambushed and killed in his cruiser as he was sitting there. And I say that because we're living in a society which is just on the edge of undoing itself because people are doing that which is right in their own eyes. And there's something greater, and that greatness is God, and God has laid out moral foundations and moral laws for us to follow. And if we choose to violate those things, whether through ignorance or through willful disobedience, we're in violation of a holy God. And I I do believe that the message that comes out of the book of Judges is a message for today, now, as much as it was back then. Before we begin reading scripture, let us pray. Lord, we are grateful, grateful for your word, grateful for the direction that you give us through specific revelation. And Lord, we all sit here today with baggage, baggage maybe from our past or from our our relatives or, or from the people that are around us or our backgrounds, our history, all those things. And yet you promise a new beginning. And Lord, thank you for that. We need only turn to you for that. And I ask today, Lord, you'd stir in our hearts this idea of repentance. Repentance in faith towards Christ. And the Lord, as believers, those that have already turned to you in faith, Lord, that you would stir that faith anew in our hearts that we might follow in obedience every step of the way. And we ask now you'd open the word to us that we may receive it with gladness. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Judges chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bore sons, and When his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Do you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us, If we do not do according to your words, then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead 
and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mitzpah. Uh, it's important to know that we have again this sort of little glimpse in the picture in this chapter 11 and chapter 12 of a man named Jephthah. That's the, the, the judge that's in focus anyways right now. Uh, and we just see again that the Lord is the one who is faithful to his people. It's a bad time. It's a time again where the enemy of God's people has, they've allowed them in really is what it is. And they have become enslaved or they certainly are being grieved by them and suffering loss. And a lot could be inferred by that. But the people of Ammon, the people that would have been across the Jordan, were now in the land and there they were. And they were basically taking over. And they call out and they do so through this man, Jephthah. And it's important to understand that that's the Lord who is the one who is faithful, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we do. He's God, and he's faithful. He's faithful to never leave us nor forsake us, right? The book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says that. And it's given to, I believe, all, all people of, that have placed their faith in Christ. He's promised not to leave us nor forsake us. Even though there are times where we think, Surely God has forsaken us because of the situation we find ourselves in. And yet he has not. Well, we're going to talk about Jephthah a little bit and learn some more about him. Um, We do know that he's a man that sort of, again, not a perfect man, but in many ways a man that would evidence, I think, great faith in his life. And we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we go through this study on him. But the first thing we see in verses 1, it's actually verses 1 to 3 there, but a rejected relative. He was rejected by his brothers. It says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 of Judges, Now Jephthah the Gileadite, that's where he was from and the family he was from, was a mighty man of valor. But he was the son of a harlot. Uh, He had a questionable, I guess, uh, upbringing in that way i shouldn't say necessarily upbringing but his origins okay uh, a scandalous thing apparently his father uh, gilead uh, went and he frequented a, a, a must have frequented a a prostitute and in doing so she conceived and has a son and that was just as you know scandalous then as it is today probably more so then And it was one of those things that marked him as someone who was not truly of the same family. And there are certainly cruder words that people use in reference to that kind of origin or relationship and uh, is in that. And but, you know, we learn right off that, you know, Jephthah didn't have a choice in that, did he? He didn't have a choice who his mother would be. He didn't have a choice who his father would be. But yet he comes into this world and he's now in a family, but his brothers don't accept him. His, his relatives. And my friends, sometimes the people that should be the closest to us are the ones that are sometimes the hardest on us, right? And sometimes you grow up in a household where your relatives reject you. And I don't know your backgrounds today. I don't know uh, other than that, you know, some of you I know a little better than others as far as your upbringing and things like that. But I will say this, that... Some of you have gone through some dark waters that way in your life. And no doubt, looking at 
the amount of people here today, there's probably a good majority of us in this room that have had problems with relatives over the years in doing that. Goes on to say, Gilead's wife bore sons. That's not the wife who was a harlot. That's his wife that he must have cheated on, or I assume so, or maybe this was before he got married. I don't know. But Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out. I can only imagine what it would have been like growing up in that household, and you're the one who is that illegitimate son in their eyes. And you're getting this constant push. And Jephthah is the, the guy who's rejected. And eventually it gets to a point where they decide they're going to drive him out. We don't want you part of our family. And I can say that some of you have had that news before where someone says, I don't want you part of my family anymore uh, for various reasons. Sometimes it's because we've taken a stand in Christ and they don't want Christ. And you may have felt a rejection of that. You're not alone because Jesus felt it as well. And it says, you shall have no inheritance in your father's house. In other words, we, we aren't going to divide up any inheritance when dad passes away. You get out of here. So not only does he lose his family, but he loses any prospect of a future if he stays there with them. And then he goes on and says, for you are the son of another woman. And then Jephthah fled from his brothers. And the idea there is that he had to run. Most likely they would have done some terrible things to him if he'd stayed. And it says he dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now, we don't know a lot of the, the history of what went on there when he was dwelling in the land of Tob. And Tob, nobody knows definitively exactly where that land was. It was thought to be southeast of the Sea of Galilee in that region. And that is referenced elsewhere too, and that appears to be the, re- the, the region. But nobody knows for sure exactly the boundaries of that. We do know what it drew in. It was a place where, in this case, it says worthless. I think in the Old English it says vain. Uh, it means people who didn't really have any direction. They were sort of the, the outcasts of society. And they find themselves banded together. And, and I... I wish I could read more in than what the scripture says. I really can't. I, I don't know the character of all these men. But I do know that when uh, Jephthah goes there, he somehow bands them together and they go out fighting the enemy, raiding. And the word raiding is in italics. It's not in the original language, but they were together and they were with him. And the understanding is that he was providing leadership for them. And I can tell you this, that sometimes if we don't have proper leadership in our life, we will end up just being, you know, living in our own vanities, living in a worthless state where we have no direction and no mission. And I don't think that's at all what God ever intended for us. And if we allow sin to reign in our life, that's where it leads. It always leads to being outcast. It leads also to a place where you have no direction in life. And God wants more of that, more than that in our life. He wants us to be on mission for him. And we've seen Jephthah, and why I'm reading in a little bit more is that in the context of this, 
somehow he takes this group of worthless men and and prior to this already in verse one it tells us that he was a valiant man he was a man of valor um, and he's able to bring them together and he goes out raiding and is, is successful in that and he catches the eyes of his brethren in the land of his father Gilead and they understand that he's the one maybe that can deliver them from the hand of the enemy Sometimes that's the way it is, and it's amazing what God will do with people who are on mission, by the way. And as I think about that, he offers purpose in your life. Not only redemption and forgiveness of sin, but he gives us meaning and purpose. And one of the things I see in society today, society is that there's a, a, just a vast amount of people that have no meaning or purpose outside of themselves. And if you just have meaning to your own self, in other words, totally selfish, and that's vain, right? vanity, it, it just leaves you in a worthless state. You don't see any worth because this life will let you down. But if you are living for someone else, especially someone who is good, someone who is a good, perfect leader, and the only perfect and good leader really is Jesus Christ. And he provides meaning and purpose to your life. And I believe that these worthless men that banded together were able to go and, and be productive and be victorious because of the leadership of Jephthah. And I often think about that because sometimes we um, write off people, don't we? We write them off because if you were in like certain, well, I'd say just like little snippets of time given over a lifetime and you were to look at someone's life and you'd say, you know, here's this person in their teens, or here's their, this person in their 30s, or, or wherever that may fall. And if they aren't necessarily someone that, you know, especially like a younger Jephthah, he's rejected. He, he's the son of a prostitute, and, and he's, he's of no consequence to his brothers. They don't want to give him any inheritance when the dad dies or anything like that. And they just said, get out. And if we were just to look at that moment in time with him, we'd say, he, just write him off. So many people today are just written off, aren't they? But yet, Christ can make something wonderful out of a life. And the Lord will definitely do that. Sometimes we think that because of your background, um, there's no way to break that cycle. Uh, a verse, for instance, Exodus 34, 7 in reference to the Lord, it says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, and I've had people kind of pick that verse apart and say, well, see, there's like generational curses of sin. If your father was an alcoholic, you're going to be an alcoholic. Now, you may indeed have certain propensity because of sin in your family to go that direction, all that. But in the Lord, there's always a chance to break that or whatever sin. I throw that out because sometimes we make excuses and we say, I'm just going to have to live this way because that's my family. And that's where I come from. And the great story and miracle of redemption is that he can take and break that sin for you. And has died for you on the cross, paying for your sin. And in the scriptures it's clear 
that the guilt of someone's father or mother or ancestors is not something that you yourself have to uh, bear. We bear our own sin. We are born in sin, and we do have original sin that's passed on through us. But the sin that we are looking at, um, with, like with Jephthah, he had no choice in who his mother was or her profession or what his father did in that process. I will say this, that if you give something to God, he will make good out of it. <laughs> that's all I can tell you. And I don't always know how he can do it, but he does. Over and over and over and over again. One of the things I've learned in the years of ministry and, and as being a Christian and, and sometimes having the hard things hit you that you go through with other people or sometimes personally. The loss that comes or the, the, the very painful moments of life that sometimes as a pastor you walk with other people through and sometimes you're not exempt from it. It comes your way. God makes wonderful things out of that. I could go on about illustration after illustration on some of those, but it's interesting. I received a story not long ago of a a law enforcement officer who uh, had gone away out of state for some training, and he got paired up with another law enforcement officer. And they, uh, he, he, this fellow from Maine is a believer, and he he said, "Well, I really want to be paired up with somebody that I can witness to," and sure enough. He got there, and this other guy was all, you know, he's all tattooed up, and he's just a real rough character, and his language wasn't good, and a lot of things like that. And he said he struggled for two or three days to really find a moment where he could witness, and he prayed, and he did those things. And then, lo and behold, um, the moment opened up. It opened up through a question the guy asked about what music he listens to, and it came around to he, worship, he, he listens to worship music, and the guy had a Christian background and had walked away from the Lord. He said by the time that week of training was done, he said he was sitting out there, his friend was now crying and had repented. And he went home, first things he did is he got rid of the things that were in his fridge, you know, like his, his beer and everything else. And he dumped it and told his wife, we're going to church, we're doing that. And he repented and uh, my friend said, he's been texting me every day with Bible verses. Sometimes we write people off, don't we? And yet God has those divine moments where we're able to go, sometimes out of state somewhere, and you go with somebody, and God puts those people together. He will make something good out of your life if you will let him. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know, and the word know there is by experience, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is in a process for the believer of conforming you into Jesus Christ. And that isn't easy. Never easy. So often we are formed as we are pounded out through the effects of a cursed sin, you know, sin-cursed world. And as that world encroaches on us and hurts us sometimes, 
so that we may, may be more like Jesus. I've been going through the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor, a theologian. He became later, uh, during the time of, of Hitler, uh, during World War, prior to World War II and after, of course, during the war and all of that, someone who eventually would have to take a moral stand in the face of tremendous opposition going on in that time in Germany. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. But as I've been just thinking about some of those things and having to make and take the courage to do things that were very tough and to take those stands and being stripped of that, having fallen in love with a, a dear woman that um, he was going to marry and then just after they got engaged him being arrested by the Gestapo and then that would lead to his imprisonment and eventually execution just weeks before the war was to end. And you go, sometimes those hurtful things, those hard things and yet today we benefit so much from the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and and the, the testimony in which he left behind. God works all things out for good. He's able to do that. He wants us to be conformed into the image of his son. This theme is found throughout the Apostle Paul's writings. In the book of Ephesians, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And may I say, sometimes those blessings are not here but they're in heaven you i i will say being a christian i have lots of blessings here amen but i will say the the greater blessing is when we get to heaven and sometimes it's going to be a hard process before that just as he chose us in him and the key word in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption of sons by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Aren't you glad you can be accepted in the beloved? Amen. Amen. Jephthah, in spite of his background and his family and everything else, he went and he chose to go and make something out of his life. And God had his eye on Jephthah. Again, there's more verses on that, but I'll, I'll pass on that. It also reminds me that you may write somebody off, but they may indeed be the person of the hour. I think when Jephthah was growing up and someone said, hey, someday you're going to be the leader in Israel, people would have laughed, right? I mean, think of the amount of times God's done those kind of things. Like, go back to the patriarchs, right? Joseph, the, the son of who would be the one who would be, you know, he, he's almost the youngest, not quite the youngest, but he's, he's there and he, he's the one rejected by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. They didn't care for him at all. Well, they cared just enough not to kill him. But they sold him as a slave. Imagine that. Selling your own family member? That's what they did. And yet God would take that in Joseph's life, and you read that in the book of Genesis, and he would use it to deliver his own people later on when Joseph would be taken from a slave and later a prisoner, 
and he'd be elevated to governor of Egypt. Only God can do that, a mighty miracle, and he delivers his people. But if you were to say, well, he actually knew, he told his brothers when he received the vision of God that someday they would bow to him, and they laughed at him, and they mocked him for being faithful to declare the word of God to them. And they rejected him. And indeed, later on, they would come and bow before him. One day they rejected him. Later they had to receive him. And you know, there's a picture here of Jephthah. And again, none of these judges are a perfect picture, but there's types because the Bible uses these people as illustrations of a greater to come. One who would be a leader. One who would be a savior, a deliverer. And he really pictures for us Jesus who was also rejected by his brothers. You think Jesus ever got someone, you know, they looked at him and they said, uh, yeah, you're the, you're the son of Mary without a father. Now we know from the scripture and we know from the testimony of the angel to Mary that Jesus was not illegitimate in that way, as the word is. There's really no illegitimate life, right? But I'm saying that term is used. But that would have been the rumor that surrounded Jesus all the years he was growing up. That Mary must have had some kind of encounter with with maybe a Roman soldier or, or some fling that she had before she was married to Joseph and maybe when she was, obviously she was engaged and, and she was unfaithful somehow and she's with child. Now Mary knew the difference or the reason and Joseph did and a few others but that would have been around Jesus. It didn't change the truth of his origin or how he came into this world. Truth exists apart from everybody else's interpretation of it, by the way. John chapter 7. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' family, his, those that grew up with him, did not even believe in him at this point. Later they would. After the resurrection they did. But they struggled with that right there and they rejected him. In Mark's gospel, and this is in the context, by the way, of the people that Jesus chose to be disciples. And if you go down through the disciples and the names of them and who they are and all that, they are, they are people that you would not have normally chosen to lead a great mission. They really were just simple people, fishermen, uneducated, sinners, tax collectors. They were the outcasts of society. They would have been deemed worthless men. And Jesus chooses each one by name. Look what it says. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Imagine that, his own people. Jesus, you've lost your mind. You're a nut job. You could say it a hundred different ways. You ever been rejected just because 
what you want to do in accordance with what God wants isn't what the rest of the world wants, you know? And they think, you're out of your mind. Had a close friend I grew up with. We were best of friends uh, in our high school years. And uh, one of my best friends, I should say. And, and anyways, I remember I became a Christian. I went back and I was talking to him. And he said, Jack, you've lost your mind. Somebody's brainwashed you. And the truth is, I was washed, but not brainwashed. My sin was washed away. I was different. And I've said before, I, I, don't, I won't name the, the guy, but I, I will say this, that since then we've had some good opportunities to talk. But it's been years in the making. I guess we're in good company when somebody says you're crazy and you're out of mind, out of your mind, right there. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And I'm reminded in Jephthah, as he's out there with this band of what society says is worthless men, and yet he's being effective at what he's doing, he's raiding, he has to do what he has to do, that God had his eye on him and his steps were ordered by the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about those kind of people. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that's the household of faith, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Very simple. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. See, Christ takes the weakness of our flesh, and the weakness of all the things that surround us, and if you'll give it to him, he'll make something glorious out of it. Not for our glory, but for his See, everything in the world today, the attitude of people is it's all about my glory, my own self. And the Lord wants us to live for him, which is far greater. And when we give him glory, by giving even our broken pieces of our life to him, he does. He makes something wonderful out of it. Well, we go on quickly here, but a requested ruler. You have a rejected relative, but a requested ruler. Verse 4 of Judges 11 It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander. All right, think of this. The last time they saw Jephthah, they were saying, get out of here. You have no inheritance and you son of a prostitute. Now they're saying, come back. And be our commander. That we may fight against the people of Ammon. Now Jephthah is a little suspicious. I, could, I would be too. Like, you know, trust but verify sort of, right? And, they, and he's thinking their motives are just, you, you see me being effective. And now you just want me to come deal with your one problem. And then I'm going to be right back out there in the land of Tob. Um, you know, doing what I have to do. But there's more to it than that. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Do you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? 
Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And it's important to understand this. This is the same Jephthah that they had rejected, and now he's come back to be the head over them at their own request. And um, that, that's an amazing thing, you know, it really is. Again, there's a picture, I think, a picture which leads us to a greater truth, which is that Jesus Christ came, though he was rejected by his brethren, he was the one who would eventually be received by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Acts chapter 4, in the context of a great miracle that has just taken place, um, it got the attention of, of the rulers. And Peter says this, Let it be known to you all and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And he goes on and says this, this is the stone, that's out of the Psalms, the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And I see in Jephthah that sort of parallel, when you see a man who is rejected by his brothers, but now has come back to be the chief cornerstone in the family. Jesus much more so because it wasn't just for his brethren but for the whole world. He died for our sins. Because it says this, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Period. That's it. There's, there's not another way. There's not a plan B. There, it's plan A, and it's God's way, and that's it. Jesus is the way. The disciples believed that. The early church believed that. Those that had rejected him even came to believe that. So many of them. I'm thankful that the Lord is the one who gives many, many, many chances, doesn't he? In doing that. Well, we see this uh, commitment, and the last point is a reserved response. And again, we see Jephthah, he, he questions them. Like, okay, guys, you're the ones that just kicked me out. Now you want me to come back and be your head, your commander? He was doubtful in that. But it's interesting, his response, because I, I say it was a reserved response. You see, in a world that then and in now is a world that is filled with people who are power hungry, who are jumping at any opportunity to jump out in front and take power from others. Jephthah doesn't do that. Instead, he reservedly says, okay, hold on here, let's get this straight. And he begins to talk to them in that way. And, and it's, it's refreshing to me anyways. I say it's refreshing because in our world today, um, so often people, you know, they say, well, I'm, I want to I go into politics, for example, or I want to go uh, move up the, the ladder of my career. I want to do that. 
uh, for my own benefit and the amount of power I can get. And if I can take that power from you in any way, shape, or form, uh, I will do it to better myself. And Jephthah doesn't jump at that. By the way, that jump is a prideful jump that will eventually be our undoing if you do that. And Jephthah takes measured, or he measures in front of him the choice to the question that they ask him. We see the cause of that request, and uh, again, it was a it was a, an astonishing request, but the, the response, I should say. In verse 9, it says, So Jephthah said to the elders, elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And he's asking that very simple question. Are you, do you want me to rule? Do you want me to actually take this place of leadership? Or is it just for a moment? See, we're fickle people, aren't we? But the elders of Israel says this, The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. And they're doing it, by the way, in a place where there had been a covenant made. We know in the next verse says, Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mitzvah. Now, Mitzpah, we read in Genesis 35, it was the very place where Jacob and Laban established a covenant that they would no longer war against each other. And it was a peace treaty signed there, or, or made there. Uh, and, and the covenant, by the way, always involved a, um, a death of, like for instance, a burnt sacrifice, a death of an animal that would take the place and it was something that they would do we we see that established earlier with Abraham and and it was always a picture that there was a binding covenant that had to be made and it was a place in this case Mitzpah which means watchtower and that was exactly what Jacob had told Laban it's the place where God watches over us and it reminds us that our words are important and that when you make a covenant, it's a binding thing. And God hears and sees it. He watches over us. And we see that Jephthah took that seriously. Serious enough, so he said, hey, we're not going to just say this in passing. We're going to go to the very place where our forefathers and where Jacob made a covenant. And we're going to do it there. And it again reminds us that that he wasn't um, <clears throat> careless in this time of his life in that. He's made captain over his brothers. And it reminds us too that, that he doesn't just reject his brothers. He doesn't go and just say, okay, you guys rejected me, now come here. And underhandedly he takes them and kills them. I mean, he would seemingly by world standards have every right to do that. Because that's sort of the way it is, right? The world's a dog-eat-dog world. And if he's going to be top dog, you've got to get rid of the other dogs. That's the way people think. And yet he doesn't. He honors the covenant between God and his brothers. In 1 John chapter 3, <clears throat> we know this. It says here, We know that we have passed from death to life. See, if you have been born again, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior... You have passed from death to life. That means you are a new creation. 
And you should walk in the light of that. Because we love the brethren. The biggest and greatest evidence of a relational change with God is when we have a relational change with each other. And if you don't love your your people around you, the other brothers and sisters in Christ, well, it says, he who does not love his brother abides in death. You're still living in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I do believe Jephthah, in his heart, because we see evidence in this, anytime you go out to do something like to fight the enemy, you pose a certain, well, that, that decision poses a risk to your own life. I mean, who guaranteed that this would be successful? Jephthah didn't have that guarantee, not that we know of anyways. He knew that he would go out, he would fight for the people, the very people that hated him at one time. But to me, the demonstration of that shows an evidence of love. It doesn't say that in the text, but it shows it. And honestly, we could do a little better in the area of showing our love, not just saying it. We do know that he is victorious in that. And I could say more on this, but I will just say this, that that Jephthah, and we're going to talk more about his life and and, and some of the things he did and the victories he had and and some of the hard things and and a lot of things that we're going to cover here in the next couple weeks. But I will say this, that you can have that cycle of sin broken in your life. Um. I don't know where you're at. Uh, I hope that most of you here have trusted Jesus as your Savior. But maybe you haven't. Today's the day. Today's the day you can break that sin in your life that has so easily just snared you and enslaved you. And it may be stuff that's baggage from your past or your family, whatever else. But you can come to Jesus Christ and he can turn that around. He'll forgive you. If you'll ask him. I don't know what strengths you have. Or weaknesses you have. God can use both. He, he loves our weaknesses. Because those are the ones we can't glory in. Your treatment of others. My treatment of others. What does that speak to us? Are we living in life? Or are we living still in the shadows of death? He wants us to live in life. And then who are we going to serve? I think ultimately Jephthah served the Lord first. doesn't implicitly say that in the text, but that's the outcome and the glory goes to God and the victory is his. And God takes Jephthah and, and helps him deliver his brothers and their families from the enemy. And it reminds us that ultimately, ultimately God is the one who brings victory in our lives. The climactic verse of first corinthians chapter 15 which is that great chapter on the resurrection of jesus christ and by the way the resurrection secures for us the victory over death how can you go from death to life because jesus is alive amen and he says paul says but thanks be to god who gives us the what 
victory. Let's say it again. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through me, not through you, but through him. By him and for him. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we are grateful for your word. And Lord, I pray you would help break the cycle of sin in people's lives. That many in our world today would come to saving faith in Christ. And that Lord, if there's anybody here or that is listening to this message, (coughs) that they too would take the time to break the cycle of sin. (coughs) And Lord, (coughs) excuse me. I pray you would just work in our lives today. Lord, you would help us to be victorious in Jesus Christ. Lord, you would use the weak things in our lives to bear up your mighty arm and give us victory over sin and over the valley of death, Lord, that so easily has enslaved us. And even today, O God, you would just show your hand to be mighty by those who serve you. Oh, Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for your hand of goodness. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I do pray to that end today. May Jesus be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen.